John McGrath, Troy Malcolm, and welcome to episode 212 of Million Dollar Agent on a day that Australia and New Zealand is now officially 1 million percent open for business. Australia Day is over. The Australian Tennis Open's over. Everyone's back on track. There's no excuses. How are you guys? Very well. Good morning, Troy. How are you? Very good. Hey, Tom, that was like a 10 out of 10 introduction. You are back. You are back and on fire. So, Troy, I've got to say, in between doing the webinar I just did with John, I had a very quick short black. It takes about 15 minutes. It comes in. It's it's peaking at the moment. <laughs> I we expect you to crash in about five minutes. Correct. So let's make let's make it a short podcast. Do you do you actually think uh, the you, you've played, both played footy before? I'm just thinking about it. Do you think footy players have a have a short black about five minutes before the game starts? It's funny you say that. The South players used to. I don't know if they still do. It's not illegal, but they used to have caffeine tablets before a game. And I was, yeah. I was against it because I'm just against anything that changes your natural state. I think you should be sufficiently. And I, and I spoke to a few of them about it. And, look, I, I think, to be honest, it doesn't do too much really. It's probably like having a short black or two. But, um, you know, they obviously they say that caffeine stimulates you and gives you a sort of a temporary high there. But um, I think, you know, it, it's uh, there's no doubt it does it. But it, you come crashing down afterwards, there's no, you, you can really in and out, which is why it's a bit dangerous. Yeah, you want to make sure that you're going for the full 80 minutes or, uh, you know, a longer period of time in the other codes. You don't want to kind of have 15 minutes where you're going great and then the rest of the game you're horrible. I'll, John, I'll never forget the day you were speaking at an event uh, that I was running and you'd had a you'd had a cold or a flu and uh, what had happened is you'd taken the uh, the day and the, you'd mixed the day and night tablets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took the wrong ones. I just thought I was just taking the day one and I looked at it. <laughs> I didn't fall asleep and I apologised in advance. I thought I might well fall asleep in the next hour. <laughs> All righty. So, guys, let's. Uh, it's going to be a Q&A podcast. We've got three questions that have come in from the audience and I'm going to start off with question number one. It says, usually I'm a self-motivated person. However, the first three weeks of 2019 I'm really struggling to get into the swing of things. I've begun with, uh, I began with changing my diet and exercising and practicing self care. But from a work perspective, I'm feeling burnt out already. What do you suggest could assist with the feeling of corporate burnout that I'm currently experiencing? So, guys, I'd love to hear your response. I think some people, some people are like that. Some people have have had a break, come back, and they just sort of go down straight away. What's your views on that? So, I, you know, there's, I mean, I'm not making a joke of it, but there is a problem if you know, sort of first of January type thing, you're, you're feeling burned out already because some people do need a bit of a break or a holiday. And assuming you've had that over the break, which I, I, I shouldn't assume because maybe he hasn't or she hasn't. But I do do think you've got to address that. It's funny. I think there's there's two things around energy, and let's say that let's just put this into the energy category. There's physical, and then there's emotional or mental energy. Both are critical. Um, Doctor Fred used to say years ago. We were talking about this this morning, Troy, with with storytelling. He said, "Just imagine, you know, a day you're totally exhausted. You know, you've had twelve appointments. You've lost two listings. You've had a negotiation fall down." You're exhausted, you're driving home, you get a phone call as you're driving home and it's from the head of uh, State Lottery and they say, just want to let you know, Mr Malcolm, you've just won $150 million. Woohoo! 
what is your state at that point, right? All of a sudden, bang, you know, like you're ringing up your friends, we've got to go out and celebrate. And so th- that just shows as an example that so much of how you feel physiologically has to do with your emotional and mental state. And, and let's just bring it back to a more realistic real, real estate perspective. You know, you've, you've had a you've had a long day and all of a sudden you get, you know, two listings through the email or, or a phone call from two vendors say, look, I've decided to go with you again. Your energy goes up. So it's got a lot to do with what are you surrounding yourself with, the people, the, the information, the barring the bad stuff. And then, of course, the stuff that you and I just talked about, Tommy, on the real estate gym, which is the physiology, is, is you know, are you looking after yourself? And, and you don't have to have perfect health routine, but you need to have a good one because it's going to impact. One is because you need to have a good one for life, but two is it's going to impact every area of your life if you don't. So I think that's that's really key. But Troy, you're the athlete amongst the three of us. What, what say you? Uh, I think it starts with setting up uh, an ideal day or an ideal week and really understanding when you're at your best. I hate when people come into an office and they just kind of come in and they do the the mundane things that they could do anywhere. And I really think you've got to manage your energy. So again, John, I reckon surrounding yourself with the right people, but surrounding yourself as well with the right environment. If you're more productive in a cafe or at home, do the great work that you do, but at that place. There's never been a greater time in the real estate industry to really leverage technology to our advantage. And I think a lot of people get caught in the trap of, I have to go into the office because that's the way it's already always been done, as opposed to going to a cafe and being energized and, and maybe having a coffee and, and doing their emails or, or calls from that environment. And I think that's a big thing that people, sometimes they get burnt out is because they feel like they're going into a boring environment as opposed to an energizing environment. And a simple version or something to complement that, Troy, which Phil Harris said at ARIC years ago, or maybe five years ago, he said um, AM energy and PM energy, which was kind of a nice, I love the simplification of it. And he yeah. said AM energy is like when I'm making my calls, doing my prospecting, chasing up business, is kind of the stuff that requires a lot of like really strong energy to start the day. And he said the PM energy is often I'm showing properties, which are equally important, but it's kind of got its own energy because you're out and you're mobile and you're kind of in conversation with people. And in, in, in a sense, the event drives the energy there. Whereas when you're actually there and you've got to sit behind your desk, we well, you don't have to, as you just said, but most people sit behind their desk and prospect for an hour. Well, you know, you, that's, that's energy that's got to be coming out from you. So I really like that idea. And, and it goes to your point, which is manage your day, your ideal week. Morning rituals, Tommy, really key. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast this morning, funny enough, and it was by a guy's just written a whole book based on it's called Morning Rituals, or I think it's called the Morning Ritual book. And um, he, he's interviewed a whole heap of people. I haven't read the book yet, but I, I just heard him interviewed and um, a whole heap of successful people. And he asked them, so what do you do in the mornings and, and how does it work? So, you know, what are you doing from when you wake up to, you know, to when you go to bed, but especially the first hour or two, which is the morning ritual. So I think. Yeah, the answer to our, our friend who's written in um, comes to – it's good you've recognised a problem. I think it's great they've written into us. Um, recognise that you own it and you're creating it. Recognise that there's going to be a physical – likely to be a physical component and there's definitely going to be an emotional component. So dig into that either yourself or get some help. You know, get, get a peer partner or a coach or a mentor to say – What's on your mind? Anything keeping you up at night? You know, what are you dreading? What, because that that stuff can really weigh you down. Mm. And I think if you do all of that, you'll be back back firing again on all twelve cylinders. 
Look, the, the only other thing I'll add there is I've noticed myself when I do things I hate, I get drained and I get pessimistic and I just get gloomy. And over the years, guys, I've I've had to realign my mindset. So, so, so I was brought up thinking to myself that, you know, you've got to hustle and grind and it's not going to be good, but you've still got to do it. But as time has gone by, John and Troy, I've noticed that you can actually get results and still have enjoyment and flourish in your work. And sometimes the problem is like you're doing things you hate. You might be doing something that's not your unique ability. Um, example is that I know there are certain groups of people that actually hate, hate cold calling, yet they feel like that that's what they need to do. And they've got an ideal week that looks more like a prison than anything else. And it can be draining. So I, I just, you know, would recommend to all of our listeners on MBA, um, try and do things that have got a filter of, enjoyment and your unique ability and you can still get to your end result. What do you think of that, John and Troy? Yeah, I, I love it. I'm, I forgot. I was just trying to think while you were saying it, Tommy, there was something, someone, wasn't Tim Ferriss, but someone before then that used to talk about tapping into your strengths is actually more important than focusing on your weaknesses. I think in an ideal world, you're doing both simultaneously. But look, I agree. I mean, there, there are some things that you're not going to love doing that actually you probably do need to do. But there shouldn't be many things that you hate doing that you have to do regularly. Um, and if you do, you either got to delegate them or you got to find a way to hate them less because that whole dread energy, procrastination energy does sap up what you're doing at the moment. So I think that's that's really – Marcus Buckingham, I think, just the name came to mind. Marcus Buckingham, I think, wrote a bestseller and it was really talking about tapping into your gifts as a priority over, over building your weaknesses. And um, – yeah, I think it's a really good point, but just the caveat is there will be some things that you love doing and there'll be some things you you don't love doing but kind of need to be done. But I agree with you. Um, figure out what's your area of genius and just do it till the cows come home. And if there is something, if there is something, Tom, that you don't really like doing, change it so you do like it. So gamify it. Somehow you can change it that you would be enthusiastic about it. So if it's cold calling, it might be number of calls or you have a competition with a peer partner and you have a reward or you go out for coffee and you talk about the funniest one. Like there's a different way to do things as well. And I think a lot of people get caught up in habit as opposed to seeing it as a as an experience. Beautifully said, Troy. Question number two that's come in, what would you be your top tips for a new trainee entering the real estate industry on how to get their career started, established in a farm area, presuming they have just moved interstate and they don't know anyone yet? I, I think the whole farm area concept is interesting but overplayed. I think too many people focus on a grid in a suburb that, that maps out, you know, a thousand properties. I'm not, look, some of our best agents are hyper-focused, like Pete Chauncey. He kind of does pretty much one suburb and he's got 83% market share, best in Australia. So I get that. But I also think that if you are going to do that, it's all about relationships and it's about everyone you meet is a potential customer. 12% of the community buys and sells every year. Um, so this is about becoming the best person. And I think a lot of people put the blinkers on around, oh, must have this, must do that. And then if someone's got a higher market share than them, they get deflated about it. My view is 
get the basics right. And buyer servicing is the most neglected, important area in real estate. And anyone day one can become a great buyer servicer. So how do you do that? We have to find some buyers to start with. They shouldn't be hard to find because there's plenty of them out there. You do a few opens, you'll meet people, and then it's just a matter of latching on and 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 getting to know them and, and really servicing them beautifully in the community. So that would be the first thing, Tom, I'd say is, is focus on brilliant buyer servicing and that will start building you momentum. Um, really, really key. Troy, thoughts? Similar to that, John, I'd be teaming up with a senior agent that didn't have experience in that area and I'd be kind of shadowing them for as long as possible, um, learning from them, understanding what how they've built market share and, and going out to their open for inspections, listing appointments, getting to know their sphere of influence because it's funny how many people um, just really want to help people in this world. So if you find someone in your office or someone that's close by that you can do that with, um, that would be the ultimate recommendation because there's so many different scenarios areas that play out and I know growing up in this industry the one thing I wish I had have done more is taken more time to learn from those people that have gone before yeah Troy can I ask you um and well I'll get both your comments on this next question and that is as a small fish in a big pond how would you recommend I market myself in a suburb with three other agents that are totally dominating? They're very intimidating because they're very good and been there a while, or should I swap areas slash agencies? So, John, because you brought up, you know, Peter Choincy with a market share of 80%, like um, let's use that as an example. If you're an agent that's going in, and we don't even have to say 80%, because even 30% is extremely dominance in a marketplace. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's your what's your view? Do you do you take it on, or should you actually look to play a game that's going to be easier to win? What can we touch on that? And I think they're two different answers. If someone said, "I'm going to go take on Pete Chauncey's 83% market share," I would say, with respect, I'd find a, an easier target because that is extraordinary. Um, but let's assume it is 30% because that's actually a more likely outcome. Um, someone that's got 30% market share once had none. So reality is they've done what you're doing. They've started and they've just grown brick by brick by brick and they've created momentum. How did they do that? They serviced the community well. They got hyper-focused. They delivered great results. They looked after people is the likely answer. So you can do all of that. The other thing is someone with 30% market share by default is going to be pretty pretty damn busy and they, they are likely to, most people I know with that sort of market share, they, they leave a lot of stuff behind. They actually don't chase things as hard because they get a bit disorganised. Some of them get a bit complacent. Um, so I actually think no matter what it is, unless it's kind of like a 70% market share or above 60 70%, which is, is very hard to crack into reality, not impossible, very hard. If anything, sort of like 10 to 40% market share, there is definitely room to get in and get some traction. So I wouldn't be off because at the at the end of the day, almost every decent area you go into is going to have some good agents with market share. It's it's going to be very hard for you to find a great market that is not got some great agents with strong market share. So you've got to address the issue somewhere. So you may as well just address it at an area of choice. So I would um, get back to uh, as we're just speaking about. Um, Get back to the basics, um, work with agents in your office that are more experienced, uh, team up. I think teaming up, Troy, is, is something, and you just mentioned it before, brilliant point. It, it's something that's underutilised. I think people, 
that are, you know, as long as there's someone in the office that's happy to. I would say if I was managing an office, the first, if you're a youngish or certainly an inexperienced person coming in the office, your first 20 deals should be done with, with one of the guns in the office. A, because you're more likely to get the deal, get the listing, get the sale, get a great result. Um, and B, is you want to learn from these people, all the gold and the stuff that they've learned and the things they've learned to do and not to do. It's really vital. So I, I think that, you know, your first 10 or 20 deals, you should be joined at the hip with someone that's incredibly successful in your business. And and, and also the reverse of that is help them. I mean, if they're one of those 30%, 40% people that's really busy, you know, say, what can I open for you? Can I help you out at the opens on Saturday? I think that was your point before, Troy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Tom and John, just on that, if I was a trainee going to an area that I didn't have anyone that I could rely on or team up with, um, I would really try to play a game that I could win and understand those people that do have 30 to 40% market share, what are they really good at and what are they not so good at? So identifying their strengths and their weaknesses and then kind of um, targeting their weaknesses, but not to kind of take away from what they're really good at, but just emphasize that as one of my strengths. So if they weren't great on social and I was a young person coming into the industry, I'd really emphasize my presence on social. I'd then focus on buyer work because we know that people that, like you said, John, um, are busy and have 30, 40% market share, they're necessarily letting things go along the way. So you've got to really focus on what are they great at and what are they not so great at, but I, I go back to my original point and I, I can't stress it enough. If, if I had my time again, I'd be teaming up with someone and staying with them as long as possible, if not forever. And, and Troy, to that, to that point, well, most of your entrenched top performers are probably going to be a little bit older than younger. There's, there's not going to be too many people with 40% market share that are 25. Um, they're more likely to be 45 or 55, just in the main, generally. Um, so there are points of difference, and you just mentioned a great one there that prompted me was social. A lot of the 45, 55, 65-year-old people, they're not yet into the social at the, at the right level, and whether it's to market themselves or to spread information or to market their properties, there is there will be points of difference to someone coming in with a fresh approach and fresh thinking. So, yes, learn from all the greats, but also bring in some new, fresh, innovative thinking that perhaps doesn't exist in the marketplace and use that as a point of difference. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Because I actually think – so I'm just – John, as you were talking, I'm uh, looking at um, the view. So we just did that webinar on uh, Zoom. So we had uh, two platforms. I was using Zoom and I was using Facebook. Um, it, it, it's, it's up to 1,400 views on Facebook without the Zoom. And I think that, like Will Ainsworth from your Geelong office said when I interviewed him in the real estate gym, he said, Tom, people underestimate the digital door knock and they overestimate the cold door knock because consumers in 2019 like to come to you, they're socially media savvy and they like to come to you at their time when they feel like it, and um, I would, I'd, I'd urge guys and girls in um, in real estate that are trying to get cut through into the new areas to look at some creative ways. Maybe interview local businesses and put them into the community spotlight. Because at the same way, you're also putting yourself in the spotlight. Yeah, yeah, and, and I agree with that. I mean, we were talking on that a bit earlier about you know digital door knocks and spamming. And I was talking to to um, one of our agents a little bit earlier today, and. He said he does a market wrap, a weekly market wrap Saturday afternoon, and he sends it to his entire database. And I said, look, I think that's a great intent, and I think I applaud you for that. But if 
if I'm not actively buying or selling in the market and I'm getting a weekly video from you telling me what happened in the last seven days, I'm starting to delete and unsubscribe because it's just too full on. So I think you can be, most agents are actually not proactive enough, but I think there are some that need to be careful about, you know, oversaturating a marketplace. Well said. Um, guys, this pod, we've been going for 20 minutes. We're going to call it a day. I'm just going to give it a, uh, a big plug, let you know it's the last week that I have gym open till June. So if you're not a member, I'd love you to come on, realestategym.com.au. Um, John, you were absolutely brilliant in the webinar today. Troy, I want to thank you so much as usual. By the way, Troy, I've got to say, a lot of the content that I've been using on teams and structures and position descriptions and when to put a PA on and what are the responsibilities of an admin-based person versus a sales creator has come from uh, content that you've put together. You get a really, you get a really in your in your role at McGrath doing training and development. And I notice that you're on a flight most weeks or a few times a week. You get a really good snapshot view of how the people that work in teams uh, are working. I'd love you to tell me like top tips that you see someone that's working with a CSM. I know that McGrath used the term uh, CSM. Other sure. Hands use the term as assistants or associates. Yeah. What are some of the things that you notice about really good teams? Yeah, most successful teams, Tom and John, I think it's fair to say they over-communicate with each other. Mm. It so often gets left to chance that uh, a sales agent will assume that their CSM knows what to do or they hire a mini-me. And I think the teams that are most successful within our brand and across Australia as well, I look at some of the other great teams that we see from other businesses, um, they over-communicate. So they're having daily whip meetings that go for five minutes. They're speaking to each other three or four times a day. They're in it together. They're not kind of working in isolation. They're working more in collaboration. And I think that's the biggest difference. If I could just mention one, I mean, there's a number of different ways that they, they work and, and how effective they are. But the, the most successful teams I find really communicate effectively and they they know what their job roles are. Who's the best team that you observe or, or work with? Oh, um, good question. You kind of got me there. I don't yeah. want to say yeah. one and then not forget yeah. another. Yeah. Um, Alex, uh, Alex Minton, Alex Jordan. Alex Jordan, Alex Minton, um, Ruben Packer-Hill, uh, Will Ainsworth, um, Will Manning out of Sydney, Alex Damatu-Buddha, Michael Tringali. There's so many teams out there that work so effectively with their CSMs. Cindy Kennedy. I agree with you. The daily huddle is critical, but the other thing up front is clear role descriptions and because a lot of stuff slips through the cracks. If I thought you were going to do it, you thought I was going to do it. So your job is to do X, Y, and Z or maybe, you know, A to Z and, and here's my job and have a good, robust conversation about that and clarity yeah. because there's no doubt a lot of agents don't communicate enough. They're great agents, but they're not yet great leaders and the way to grow your business is to leverage and get yourself in front of more people face-to-face, buyers and sellers. Therefore, you need someone else to do the rest of the stuff. So there needs to be absolute clarity uh, about that. So I, I think yeah, there are some good um, good examples. Troy, I've got that document in the gym, which is role descriptions, Yep. the daily huddle team agenda, Yep. remuneration scheme, because I think sometimes – Having uh, a bad remuneration scheme on your team members can be demotivating if they think it's unrealistic they're going to get their goal. So I do think you've got to be paying fairly um, for good people. And um, on that point, guys, I look forward to talking to you next week. 
where we uh, will have uh, number 213. John, have a great week. Troy, have a great week. Troy, you're travelling this week? Yes, I am. Down to Victoria. Down to Victoria. That's where I am right now. It's a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous day. It feels like everyone it feels like everyone was at the Australian Open and I saw all these people leaving the airport, heading back um, overseas. Um Jeez, that Australian Open gets a lot of uh, interest from overseas. There was so many. Uh, you could see American people, uh, English people. What did you think of uh, – uh, did you watch the final, John and Troy? Troy probably did. I didn't. I don't know if you did, Troy, but I, I didn't. I heard about it. I, I'm not the world's greatest tennis fan. I, I admire the greats, you know, the Djokovic and the, the you know, the, the very, very best people throughout the years. I mean, I remember, Tommy, you, you might be too young, but back to McEnroe days and – Oh yes. I mean, you know, t- tennis as a sport has no doubt, um, you know, surfaced some of the greatest athletes of any sports in the world. But at a, at a spectator kind of level, it's not one of those things. A bit like cricket. I mean, I, I kind of t- keep in touch with the cricket, and I'm interested on the, you know, right on the fringe. But I couldn't sit there and watch a whole day's worth of cricket. But uh, no, you're right. I think the Australian Open has kind of gone to a new level, and I'm not sure why. I know it's always been one of the great Grand Slam events, but it feels like it's gone to a new level uh, of late. So, uh, yeah, no, I I heard about it. Troy, did you get to watch it? Yeah, I did. I did. Absolutely uh, clinical display by uh, the Joker. Uh, Novak Djokovic, what an amazing, amazing game that he played against possibly um, what will be one of the immortals of the sport when they both retire, both Nadal and and Djokovic, and then you throw in Federer. I think we're in a really luxury time um, in tennis by having those three immortals playing in the game in the same era. Um, I've never heard a better summary snapshot of an event. Like You should should have been talking at the end of of the Open on Channel 9. I just ripped it off. I just went on to it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, no, it was just, it was one of those ones. And John, I know that we use Novak Djokovic's um, kind of uh, rise to fame of being, you know, when he first started in way back in the day, being 292 in the world and, and getting 49% of his um, shots in compared to being number one in the world when he first got to be that position and, and getting to 55% of his shots in. So the, the small change can make a huge difference. And I know we relate that back to real estate a lot and hopefully a lot of the listeners have watched that game on the weekend and also take a few lessons of the way that he went about business because it was just it was clinical you're the bruce you're the bruce mcaveni you're the anchor man <laughs> you could cross we could cross from the tennis to the aussie rules when you're at the uh we're at the table tennis let's move to the gymnastics i think that you could have an opinion on every sport troy and on you know, let's finish on this point I want to test you out because I'm going to come back to issue 212 in October at the end of this year. Who is going to win? And, John, you've got an inside view because you've been watching. The, are the Rabbitohs back at training, John? No, they've been back since the 1st of November. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So is your team, Tom. <laughs> so NRL, well, God, well, I can't remember who, who picked who last year. Um so your coach, John, is Wayne Bennett. Let's be clear. Wayne Bennett is the new coach of the, the Rabbitohs. Is that right? Well, I think so, yes. It seems that way. <laughs> but, but I'm not sure it's clear. No, no, he is. And I think we, we lost a great coach, but we've gained a great coach um, with, uh, with Seabolt, who, who did a phenomenal job in his first kind of first grade experience. But, um, oh, I don't know, Troy. I know you'll be saying roosters. You always do, and you're normally pretty close because roosters do 
Yeah, listen, I like I like the Roosters again this year. I think they've uh, kept the nucleus of their team. Um, I also like the Penrith Panthers. I think Ivan going back out there, and I know when we had this conversation last year, I was a fan of West Tigers with Ivan. I just uh, having played very closely uh, when I was at the Roosters uh, and him being in the coaching staff and watching him go about business. I just think that he's the, the right coach to coach teams to premierships. Um, he's had a lot of success and I think this year will be one of those ones. I also like um, Souths, John. I think they're, they're with the master coach of Wayne Bennett. I think it's the, the, the difference between winning and losing and getting to the final four and making a grand final. There's certain people that just know how to win and I think that he's one of those coaches. Yeah, they'll be rebuilding, I think. I think they did a wise move by getting Laurie Daly across, Tom. I don't like the term rebuilding. Rebuilding says to me... You're trying to be positive about nothing that's positive, Troy. <laughs> no, I like this. I like a number of your players, but I just think a couple of seasons, a couple of seasons under the one coach. You'll be, you'll be hoping it's Balmain. I'll be hoping it's the Rabbitohs and the Rooster in the corner there. I'll be hoping, hoping that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. Who, Troy, your your dark horse. You're saying is Penrith. Yeah, Tom, your dark horse. Uh, my dark horse is, it's not a, it's not, uh, why are we talking about Melbourne Storm? Isn't Melbourne Storm the team that, um, uh, I, I, I think when you say a dark horse, a team that unlikely you don't expect to win it, to do well, I'm going to go to the Tigers. I'm going to say that. <laughs> um, I think, I think Melbourne Storm, I think Melbourne Storm is, uh, who, by the way, I've actually just forgotten who was in the grand final. It was Roosters versus Storm. Storm. Okay. And Snouse had just lost against Roosters to get into the grand final. Is that right, Troy? Yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. South there, but close with no cigar. Um, yeah, now, interesting. Well, look, we'll all know. I think it must be in the next couple of weeks we start trial games because I think the first weekend of March is generally the kickoff for the year. So um, I reckon since we're now hitting February, it must be close to trial time. So all will be revealed in the next month or so. Yeah, it all starts with that big – it's always that big – I get into rugby league mode when the St. George plays South in that, that game that they play at the start of the year. What's that called? Charity Charity Shield. Charity Shield. Anyway, we better let go of uh, sports content because uh, um, people are going to begin to think, is this Million Dollar Agent or is this a, you know Fox Sports Wrap-Up of the Week? Guys, I want to thank everyone so much. Your The audience is, is, is what keeps this podcast going. Troy, I'd love to be able to update our uh, viewers next week on how many people we get on average that listen to this podcast per week. I think the last figure was 11,000. It would be good to get an updated figure to let our audience know where they stack up in the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're out there, audience, and you do, uh, you haven't already done so, please go and rate us five stars on iTunes. Leave a comment. We do read them. We do appreciate them. Um, only leave five stars. Don't leave anything less. It gets upsetting when we see those. <laughs> In Marker Diaries, June 1, June 2, Eric is at the Gold Coast. Before I confirm that, let me quickly go look at this calendar just in case I got that those days wrong. It is... Uh, June, June 2, June 3. So I was wrong. June 2, June 3. John, great program because what you appear to have done this year with the team is to look at what problems the industry's got 
and then go go off and find speakers that address those problems. One of those speakers is someone that, you know, specialises in conflict management, and that is something that real estate agents need to be able to handle in this market. But we've got an array of real estate agents that not only have high GCIs, but we've also got a lot of uh, speakers that are doing 100-plus transactions. We've got a lot of female superstar real estate agents in the program. So we're catering for people that are working in price brackets that are $2 million plus. We're working with price brackets of under 700000 and a big focus has been on just not GCI, but the amount of sales that people are doing a year and what are the rituals, what are the habits, and what are the processes that allow people to have a big capacity turnover, that kind of real estate. Yeah, yeah, it's a great balanced program and whether you're a new starter and sometimes we get people that's their first week or whether you're a 5 or $10 million writer and everyone in between, there's no doubt that this has got a great balance around it and some great impact. Um, and one of the ones I'm looking forward to is, is watching you or listening to you or watching you interview Barbara Corcoran, who is one of the most legendary real estate practitioners on the planet and on Shark Tank, one of the stars of Shark Tank in the US. And we're going to beam her in live from New York City and she's going to answer your questions for the for 60 minutes so yeah it should, should be awesome so the brochure will be John, she's soon. i know that you've always every eric program for the last decade when you write out your chase list you know nine months beforehand barbara Cor- corcoran is it ever said it right barbara corcoran, corcoran yeah has always been up there you've had seth godden and barbara corcoran and this year um lucky enough to get her. So um, she's speaking on, uh, John, is she speaking on day one or day two? Monday morning, 8.30am till 9.30am. Barbara, yeah, she'll just be terrific because she's just got so much experience out there, but she's kept reinventing herself. And now I would imagine, look, I don't know, I don't want to be rude, but I think she's in her 70s. She's probably never been more energised, more successful, more dynamic than she is today. So, yeah, if anyone wants to know how do you um, extend longevity and, and success, you know, not only to your 30s, 40s, 50s, but like to the rest of your life, she's a living example of that. But, um, yeah, she's a woman that got into real estate, the tough game of what then was a male-dominated, tough industry many, many decades ago and not only survived but became probably the best agent in New York City, and she's going to share all her ideas about how she did that and then how she built the business. So for principals in the room, it's going to be really interesting. And then, of course, how she's reinvented herself as now an investor and television superstar on, on Shark Tank, um, which I think gets like a 10 million audience in, in the uh, in the US. So, yeah, she's a bit of a, a legend, which is um, which is going to be a great one to listen to. Okay, mark your diaries. Uh, Nicola and the team from Tread are getting the marketing material and the brochure out to you very soon. People have started, people in the gym have started already uh, buying tickets um, to that event. So John and Troy, we'll talk about the ARIC program as the uh, year progresses, but I look forward to seeing you or speaking to you next week. See you later, guys. Thanks.